Hey folks, Rigor here. So when last you heard me and Juan Ortiz together, it was on episode 109 of Then Is Now podcast, also known as episode 5 of our 2022 13 Days of Hallowtober, in which we discussed World of the Vampires from 1960, a great Mexican horror film. So tonight, Juan is back with me. And uh, what we had done was we recorded two films. Uh, we discussed two films uh, back to back. And it was supposed to be a double episode. However, we had someone pull out at the last minute. So we had a slot open. So I decided to just take this episode and split it into two. So today, Juan and I are going to discuss the film called Empire of Dracula from 1967. Another classic Mexican vampire film. And you're going to really enjoy our conversation. So... Uh, why don't you settle back? If if you haven't seen the film, you really must get out and and see the film. I think it's on uh, YouTube or something or, or Tubi, one of those places. You can find it. It's called Empire of Dracula from 1967. So get ready for a fun episode. Hi, this is Jerry Mathers from Leave It to Beaver, and this is the Then Is Now podcast. Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, <laughs> it's scary. Class is in session. Okay, folks, we've got another short synopsis here. Basically, the plot of The Empire of Dracula is as follows. A man searches for the vampire who killed his father to prevent him from coming back to life. But to do so, he must fight his army of beautiful female vampires who lure men to their estate so they can feed on their blood. So, Juan, when did you first see this and what was your first impression? Well, just to let you know, first of all, that this movie had various different other titles. And one of the other titles that it was also known as was The Women of Dracula. Uh, that was the other title. In Mexico, uh, El Imperio de Dracula and Las Mujeres de, del Vampiro. So basically they had different titles in Mexico, but they had like two, maybe th a third title. But the empire is what it's well known for. It was El Imperio, the empire, which means you know, the empire of Dracula. But this movie came for me I'll tell you, pretty much around the same time as the uh, the World of the Vampires or El Vampiro. Right after I had seen El Vampiro, I got this movie again, another film that came out in the 
in the mid to uh, you know mid 60s after watching all these other ones el vampiro in 57 uh the world of the vampires in 61 uh the bloody vampire the invasion of the vampires i said wow so they continued on with the series of uh mexican vampire films and this one here caught my eye i would say about maybe 13 14 years ago you know early 2000s and uh, i said wow i'm gonna do some research on this and see what this one's all about and lo and behold there was another one uh in the same vein of some of the other ones but with a more with a, with, with the actual vampire dracula twist to it yeah it didn't have any it didn't have the the the, the it, there was no constable tie there was no you know but it had the the original count's name with a little different twist now if you remember the movie i don't know if you can see the bloody vampire or the invasion of the vampires either of those the count in that in those films his name was uh baron count frankenhausen okay, okay. so you notice the name frankenhausen yeah so you know they kind of like twisted it say well you know what let's give it a little different name when instead of just calling him dracula which by legal copyrights they couldn't use because of the universal rights to the name quote unquote dracula so they twisted it around and uh, they left the title with el imperio the uh 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 the el imperio de dracula or the women of dracula but his actual name in the film wasn't dracula it was dracostein right so they wanted that <laughs> they wanted to add that 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 frankenstein Frankenhausen scene, you know, they wanted to put that steam to the end of it. So yeah. they put Dracostein. It's a pretty interesting movie. I really, my impression on it, when I watched it, I really enjoyed it because there was a lot of similarities, believe it or not, to the, the Hammer films of the mid 50s, the very early Hammer films. Yes. Uh, this film had a, a lot of very, you know, similar plot lines to the original uh, Dracula or the Prince of Darkness film from Hammer from 1957 with yes. Christopher Lee uh, and so many similarities that I'm t I'm tending to think whether the director of course the director here is is another the great I mean you can't really the director is Federico Curiel this man here is a, a legend in himself and he used to like the Universal films and he used to like all of the Hammer uh, uh, monster films from the early 50s and the late 50s I might have thought he might have took the plot line somewhat. He says, you know what, I'm going to do a similar storyline to the original Hammer Dracula film because it was very, you know, in the film you see a lot of blood with the fangs, fangs protrude, you see blood and all this stuff. So, I mean, I want to use, he used the same thing. So Federico Curiel said, well, you know what, let's do a Hammer type Dracula Prince of Darkness film for the Mexican version. And that's what basically this is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Definitely, uh, like you said, it had both a Universal and a Hammer influence here. Uh, this was my first viewing, and uh, I watched the uh, subtitled black and white version on YouTube, and the quality on this, um, of the print, was much better than World of the Vampires. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they did, believe it or not, this particular film, Roger, uh, was done uh, various versions of it. There was actually a color version of it. There is actually a color version of the film. Okay, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, there's a color version of the film that was released uh, somewhat. The black and white and the color version, the minutes extend somewhat. So there's one kind of like unedited and there's an uncut version. So so basically, 
the black and white is basically the longer version and the color version it was the edited version which later on they added the uncut scenes from the black and white to the color to make it complete so now the color and the black and white is complete but there was a time that this film this film the two versions one was uh, uncut and the other one was edited meaning the initial 10 minutes of the film I would say the initial 10, 12 minutes of the film where, you know, the the the, the Baron is chasing the old man. I would say old man, uh, 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 how do you call it? Uh, Van Helsing, old Van Helsing. Yeah. Let's just use that name. Right. Chasing him through the castle, you know, and there's like a 10 minute scene of him chasing him and trying to bite him and he's fighting with him and they go all the way into that room. That whole scene, the 10 minutes or eight minutes, was taken out for the color version. So he got edited out of the color version and they started, you know, differently with the color version, which makes it shorter. It was only oh, like, okay. uh, it was only 67 minutes versus the 83 minute version of the black and white. Oh, okay. So, so that's, that's what happened. Now, so, was it, was it shot in color and then they just made it black and white or was it colorized? No, it was shot in color, and then they made it black or white. This movie was originally in color, but uh, Federico Curiel decided to, you know what, maybe I should do it in black and white. Because remember, the Hammer films were always in color. They were not in black and white. Right. So he did shoot the film in color. He might have thought for the reason being of the of the gore with the blood, you know, they've seen a lot of the blood, the, the red blood and everything. Yeah. He says, well, let's do it in black and white. Because you can't see the gore as much, right? If you follow what I'm saying, so it was shot. It was it was originally done in color, but then they did it in black and white. And the extended uncut version is the one that became the black and white one. Until some time when they finally decided to to uh, later on down the road, I think this was probably around maybe '69 or '70. Uh, they decided to go ahead and re-extend it and make the color one into a full unedited uncut version. Oh, okay. So that's that's what they did, and uh, the differences are, are are amazing. The color version is beautiful. I is it available on like Blu-ray or DVD? Like I couldn't find it on any of the streaming services. Uh, okay, I'm I'm on the I'm on the show here talking, so I will. I guess I will let you know that I do have it available. Nice. Uh, I have both versions. It's a dual disc. I mean, not a dual disc. It's a single disc with both versions of the film on the disc. Awesome. So you, you you get the uncut version. You get the uncut version on both. So basically, what it is, the black and white is complete with the eighty three minutes, and so is the color. So it's complete. That's excellent. Oh, I'm gonna have to grab it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I just thought I'd let you know that in case you know it is available, and uh, you know for anybody that listens to the show, of course, I didn't give my information by the way. We no. talked about the podcast, but uh, well, usually you know, I ask at the end. But why don't you give out your website now, and then we'll do it again at the end? Yeah, no problem. Okay, if if there's a, an interest in any of the Mexican horror, the Lucha Libre, Santo Films, Blue Demon, No Mascaras, any of my Mexican filmography films can be found at my webpage. My website is uh, www.fifthdimensionfilms.net. Dot net. So it's not dot com because at one time I used to have the dot com domain and uh, I, I changed it. I went with dot net now. So if you if you Google it, you'll see I'm like I'm the top of the Google page. It comes right up. So it's fifth dimension films dot net. It opens up and it actually I have a 
an intro with El Vampiro coming in. Uh, my intro is El Vampiro coming in to open my my page, <laughs> and uh, in the page, then you can you can go through the different sections, and there's a Mexican section that covers just about every Santo movie you can think of. I mean, there was 52 Santo films, uh, including the ones with Blue Demon, and you know uh, that he did. So they're there, they're there. Then all of the Mexican horror ones are there, including this one, El Perio de, Vamp de Dracula, The World of the Vampires, all of the other, a lot of the the the, uh, the rare ones around the uh, website there. Nice. So you could also subscribe and join, send me an email, and you can uh, make the request that way too. A lot of times, you know, because I uh, I have to, I, I charge uh, priority postage on the website for it. If you order the films via the website, I always send everything priority because that's my way. I like making sure that there's a tracking and people get the films instead of sending the media. I don't never send stuff media mail. So um, so I do that. But I always also do direct. If you want to go ahead and do, you can you can email me direct. I can give you my uh, PayPal information and you can do it that way too with the email. And, uh, and I send it out that way too. So you can go to the website. Or you can contact me directly, uh, and my phone number and email is everything on the web page there. So once you subscribe, the information will be there for you. Excellent, excellent. And the the spelling of the URL is fifth dimension, where it's uh, the number five and the letters T H. So it's not the word fifth spelled out. It's five T H no. dimension it's films. Co correct. Yeah, it's five T H. Correct. That, that's it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I found this movie uh, very chilling. I thought it had great atmosphere. I really, really enjoyed this one. I mean, I liked World of the Vampires as well, but I liked this one, I think, a little bit more. It was just, it just had even more atmosphere, if you can imagine, you know? <laughs> no, yes, it did. I mean, it's basically the opening scenes. There's actually a, a verbal introduction, a narrator that, you know, talks over the looming castle in the very beginning. Yeah. And then you see the shadow of, uh, of Dracula on the wall with his cape extended. And of course you see his fangs and it goes into the movie. But the, uh, I got to tell you the shot of the opening scenes of the film. Okay. That castle. Yeah. Is, is again, it's a trademark castle that was used in Santo versus the vampire women. If you look at the opening shots of Santo oh, versus okay. the vampire, it's the same castle. Oh wow! And it's a model, right? Yeah, it's sort of like a model. That that castle is not there anymore. It's gone. But yeah. At one time in the fifties, in the sixties, it was there. So they used that that property as a shooting sequence uh, sequences to shoot the films there because it was very gothic. You know, it was it perfect to yeah. do the Dracula films. You see what I'm saying? Right. So the narrator comes on and he talks about you know he's given this little story and his little summary about. You know the the Dracostein, who's the name of the the vampire in this film, and then he talks: Is he alive? Is he dead? Or has he lived? And the the, the lending remarks of what he says in the narration kind of leads you into the movie to say, okay, so apparently this this vampire was dead, but came back to life. Yeah, and this is what we see in the introduction, in the beginning uh, uncut version, where you see the chase through his mansion, his castle, with the old, I'm going to say old Van Helsing, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, he's chasing old Van Helsing instead of old Van Helsing chasing him. And he's always trying to bite him, but he can't, and he's fighting with him. They twist over the ground. 
They fall over the table. They, they go from room to room and they finally go into that one room and boom, it happens. The very same scenery that Peter Cushion did with Christopher Lee in the ending of the Dracula film. Oh, yeah. The chase ensues and he's going through the rooms and finally goes into that big ballroom there, jumps on the table, pulls the curtain, and that's it. So that's basically the same introduction here for this film where the old man Van Helsing does the same thing. He pulls the curtains and boom, <laughs> he, the vampire just gets disintegrated, but then he puts the finishing touches where he yeah. stakes the he stakes them with with a with a with a sword. So I mean, uh, it's it, it's a it's a very very nice intro to the film, and uh, I I really like I said the the it leads you to the right atmosphere to you know that there's going to be a plot line, there's going to be a story, and what is going to lead for you know. To, to, to find them that he's back to life. And what is his mission, you see? Right, right. So uh, before we, we get fully into the film, let's just jump back a little bit and briefly talk about the director and writer and cast. Um, as you mentioned, Federico Curdiel directed this. He also did Brainiac, uh, Santa versus the Kidnappers, Vengeance of the Vampire Women, Hellish Spiders, and one that I had never heard of and I really want to see now after reading the description is called champions of justice okay which that one has all i think all the wrestlers except for santo right yes i do have that oh nice. with english subtitles the champions of justice and the mystery in the bermudas in the bermudas with blue demon and santo so uh yeah he actually federico curiel you know he did that one the champions of justice it's a pretty good film it's a good film and uh yes it, it is available and uh, Federico was very instrumental in many of the Santo films from the early 60s. Yeah. I mean, uh, not only that, but he also did the Neutron films. He oh, did, okay. He did, he did the Neutron. Yeah. Neutron versus Dr. Caronte. Uh, but a lot of the Santo films and a lot of early uh, Mexican horror films. There's a movie I got to tell you about, Brian. We're talking about Federico Curiel right now. And he's one of my favorite directors, okay? Besides Chano Urieta, Chano Urieta is like the number one. He's the king. But Federic, Federico Curiel is like the second in command here when it comes to filmography as far as being a writer, producer, and director of all these great uh, Mexican horror lucha films. But he did a, a movie in 1963 called The Monster of the Volcanoes. Hmm. And it's a movie about a Yeti, an abominable snowman. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a really cool movie, and he did that movie, and uh, Joaquin Cordero, who's a very well-known character actor in many, many other movies, he was actually in the first two Santo movies, the the uh, the uh, origin movies of Santo, if, that he did, they, uh, he shot in Havana, Cuba, the uh, Infernal Man and uh, the Diabolical Brain, it was Joaquin Cordero, he happens to be in the, the Monster of the Volcanoes, and it's a really good movie. Federico Curiel really got off with this one because it was like a, a Yeti-like uh, abominable snowman monster that's stalking the mountains of rural Mexico. And he had the powers of hypnosis that he enchanted the women to come into his cave. Oh, you got to see this one. I don't want to go into that one, but yeah, yeah. I think I, th <laughs> I thought Federico was really good with that movie. Um, yeah. He also did the uh, Nostradamus films. Okay, yep. 
Yeah, the ones with Herman Robles. Yes. He did the Genie of Darkness, and he did, you know, uh, the Curse of the, I mean, the, the Curse of Nostradamus, Genie of Darkness, and all the other ones, uh, and Monstro de las Tinieblas, you know, and um, and then he, he also did uh, the vehicle, the Brainiac. He was involved with the story and the adaptation of the Brainiac. Yep. The storyboards he put together for the Brainiac was because the idea that Abel Salazar and Alfredo asked him to get involved directly with it. So he said, you know what, I'll go ahead and, since you already got your cast lined up as far as directors and producers, I'll go ahead and do the, the storyboards and the adaptation for the Brainiac, which he did. So he was involved with that. Um, many, many wrestling bills. And of course, he was with the Western Horrors. He did a lot of the Western Horrors, like the Black Whip Against the Imposters. Uh, he, he did a movie called The Revenge of the Resuscitated, which is another Western. Uh, the, the Neutron films. He did all the Neutron films. The five Neutron films. Right. Um, he also did the... Casadores de Cabeza from 1962, which is another. Uh, uh, it, it was. It was also. It's basically like a lucha lucha libre film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he did um, a lot of the a lot of the Western horrors with the, like the Black Whip, the Return of the Black Whip, uh, and it had horror elements in it. He was involved with that, and um, he did a, he did he did a, a mystery Jekyll Hyde film. Actually, two of them back in 60, 61, called Efistol del Diablo, okay, in Juego Diabolico, which is a, it's like a Jekyll Hyde character. Huh. And it involved the story of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. And Federico Curia was involved very much with that. Um, nice. Mystery of the Black Whip was another one in 1958 that he did. Again, his Western horrors were amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and starting with the Black Whip in six in 58. And, um, his storyboards and everything were really good because he wanted to. This is what led the other directors and other get involved in doing horror westerns. That's why there's such a uh, a big thing on the horror westerns alone. You could do a whole show just doing Mexican horror westerns by themselves. Well, I was actually going to uh, say that <laughs> we're going to have to have <laughs> you come back so we can do that. <laughs> okay, no problem. Uh, so, and then he went on to do many, many other films, but his fame. His rise to fame were basically all the stuff that he did in the early 60s. The Santo films, the Neutron films, the Nostradamus films. And he went on to, when he did this one, he didn't want to stop there. He wanted to continue because the Monster of the Volcanoes, uh, uh, a couple of the early Santo, he did the trilogy of the Santo films, The Hotel of Death, uh, and, and he did three films in the early 60s of Santo. The Adventures of the X-Sixters, which are they like Zorro, female Zorro characters. Hmm. The Diabolical Brain, which was the third film in the in the Federico Curio trilogy of the Santo films. Um, the the female uh the female mask Avengers, which wow. he, he had females here. He had women Zorro characters in these movies in both the Adventures of the Sister X and the Avengers of the Mask uh, 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 Invaders or Mask Avengers. Yeah. Then he did the the uh, the Hands of the Leopard, which is another Western about a, uh, a Zorro type ca character. She he did the the female the Daughters of Zorro, 
1964. Wow. I guess he liked he liked Zorro a lot. I guess, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then he did one of my favorites, Roger, in 19 actually 69, just before 70 hit. Uh, he got involved with Mim Mascaras. Of course, Mim Mascaras had a name going for his uh, on his own already. He was he was instrumental in doing a lot of the stuff for Mim Mascaras, but he did the movie uh, Las Vampiras, the Vampire Women. In 1969, that had Mil Mascaras and also had John Carradine in. Oh, okay. So he did the screenplay for that one, which was amazing. It's a pretty good movie. You got to watch that one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and in, in the in the 70s, in the early 70s, he still was doing horror. He was doing uh, Western horrors, and he also did like a superhero film. In 1971, he went on to do Super Zan, The Invincible, and then in 1975, a few years later, years later. He did another Western horror movie called The The Horse of the Devil, El Caballo del Diablo, which oh, okay. was like yeah. a, an infernal horse that belonged to the devil or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I, I definitely and then gotta, he went on, huh? I was just going to say, I definitely got to dive into this guy's filmography. I mean, he's he's even more prolific than Sergio Corbucci. He's got uh, he, yes, he is. He's got seventy three films that he's directed, and Corbucci's only got sixty three. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, his entire filmography goes over 225 titles. Yeah. What what what, what Federico Curiel did. So he can't match Chano Urieta because like, he's still the king. But everything that he did turned to gold. Everything that this director did, uh, you know, turned to gold. He did the movie Santo. Uh, Santo, the Knights of San Juan. Okay. Uh, Santo en el Oro Negro, you know, 1977. Right. And he was still doing westerns all the way up in the late 70s into the early 80s. And then he started doing, uh, he did a movie called uh, The Rider of Death in 1980. And he did the storyboards for that. And then he went on to do uh, more westerns. And then he did some comedy. Yeah. And and then, of course, he went on to do the... the uh, uh, the Neutron films. He did mostly all the Nostradamus right. and the Neutron films. So he had a very extensive career, I would have to say. Oh, yeah. That in a good 40, 45 years. And he passed away in the 80s, but Federico was, you know, being born in the Distrito Federal in Mexico, uh, this guy as an actor, he was he also was in films. As a director and a writer, he was absolutely awesome. Yeah. It's his filmography is just amazing. Just looking at it right now on IMDb. Um, so let's just move this along here. Uh, we've got Ram, Ramon Obon again, who is the writer. Um, and there was a couple I, I didn't mention when we talked about him in the last film was uh, Santo versus the Killers from Other Worlds and Santo versus the She Wolves. Those really kind of piqued my curiosity, you know. Well, the, the I got to tell you, Santo versus the Killers from Another World. It's from 1973. Now, you got to see that one, Roger, because, again, I mean, you know, the, the, the Santo film, this is actually the last color film that Santo did wearing his trademark cape and his uh, bodysuit in this film. Huh. And it's about an alien invasion. And the, another name for this, mil, this film would be considered to be called Santo versus the Blob. Oh, interesting. Because there's a blob-like creature in the film. It's kind of funny because I don't know if you ever seen the movie The Creeping Terror. Yes. It's about the, the shack carpet from 1968. Yeah. <laughs> really, really cheesy movie. I mean, it's like a grade Z movie. Yeah. 
about that carpet is going around real slow, devouring people and everything. And they were all in there. You could see the hands. And, well, that's <laughs> the same thing with this movie, Santo versus the Killers from Another World. It's about this alien blob character, uh, a monster that's controlled by an evil madman that's bent on taking over the world that's inside of this cave. Wow. And that was Carlos Agosti. Carlos Agosti was also Baron, uh, uh, Baron Frankenhausen in the Bloody Vampire and the Invasion of the Vampires. Okay. But Carlos Agosti was the madman. And Santo, uh, his mission was to stop him. And the monster, the blob, is just, you, it's so funny. It'll make you laugh. It's <laughs> cheese all the way. So, oh, yeah. yeah, you got to see that one uh, on the, the killers from another world. And yeah. the other one, the She-Wolves, that's another good one where, you know, it, that's a color one, by the way. Okay. And, it, it, you know, it's another one that came out in the early 70s where Santo is battling this the clan of female uh, werewolves. You know, so it, it, it is really good. And Abon, you know, he, he put the magic touch to that. Yeah. All the movies that he did, he always puts the magic touch to it either as a writer or as a director. And, I mean, I've discussed his Western horrors that you got to check out his Western horrors. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that that's Ramon Obon. That's awesome. You know, and I got to, first of all, thank you, Juan, because, you know, you've opened me up to this whole new world of films that I never knew existed. So it's it's going to be fun diving into them. Thanks. Thanks. Um, hey, are you, any, any, anytime you need any, you know, any help with any of them or, you know, doing further research or finding the films, I mean, you know, you, you don't be surprised if I have the majority of these because, like I said, every time I went to Mexico, I went down there with a purpose. Yeah. Not just to go and have a vacation and have fun and bathe in the sun. My mission was to find obscure, uh, old Mexican horror films, the beginnings. And uh, I went to theaters and I tried to get, you know, I go went and try to get lobby cars, posters, any anything that involves these films, scripts, books. You name it. Have you so ever gotten we, any reels of film? Yes, I do have some. Nice. Some 16 film canisters. I have a few of them. Not a whole lot. I don't have a 16 millimeter projector anymore. And I don't think these were never, these were never made in Super 8. Like the old Castle films. Yeah. I mean, not, not that I know of that. I don't think any of these were ever converted to a Super 8. But the, I do have a few on 16. You know, that's awesome. So now, is there anything you want to say about the cast of this movie? I really didn't know anybody in this film. OK, I do want to talk about one more uh, uh, as far as the writing credits. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I want to talk about the producer of this film. His name is Luis Enrique Belgara. Oh, OK. okay? Yeah. He's like the main guy here. He produced the film. He didn't direct it, but he produced it. And uh, Luis Enrique Belgara is, is an incredible story with him because he was the one that was basically involved with his family in the uh, uh, in the passing of the, the the heirs and the rights to the two of the Holy Grail Santo movies that came out with this nudity in them, oh, uh, which was uh, Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, uh, El Vampiro and the Sexo, uh, the Vampire and the Sex, and the other one was the Riders of Terror. The Writers of Terror, the Western that Santo did, yeah. uh, was direct, was produced by Luis Enrique Vergara. And he was also, they did a international nude version of this film. Oh, that wow. Has, it's like a holy grail. That one's yet to be found. And I do believe that Vergara's niece uh, has the film in the vaults because, you know, I mean, since he passed, 
she has the rights to a lot of these films that are in the in the vaults of the Belgada family. Yeah. And but the son of Santo, he's you know he's locked in with legal matters and trying to get the Belgada family to release not to ever release these films like they did with the Treasure of Dracula that got released. Hmm. So I mean, uh, Luis Enrique Belgada, he's like I said, this guy, he's a uh, He's an amazing producer, and and, and I, I got to tell you one thing about him. I mean, his filmography is very unique because, I mean, everything that – he even did Boris Karloff movies. I don't know if you remember, the, uh, he produced The um, Island of the Snake People, and oh, okay. there was a couple of – the couple of Boris Karloff movies that came out in the early 70s were yeah. real cheesy that were done in Mexico. Well – Belgara produced them. We think we get Belgara. He did a movie that I really like. That's got Jan Car- John Carradine. Uh, he came to the U.S. and he was looking for horror actors, great legends. Boris Karloff, John Carradine. And if L- Lugosi was alive, he probably would have got him too. Yeah. But he, he got him to go to Mexico and do horror films. And he put him on the payroll and he paid them like he did Karloff. And in the case of Madame Death, uh, Belgara, uh, a sign he g- he gave a, a part to John Carradine in the movie Madame Death from nineteen actually this was in nineteen sixty eight or sixty nine so yeah but uh, his rise to glory was in a lot of these movies with Blue Demon and he did he he produced Las Vampiras he did the first Mil Mascaras movie he produced that um, he also did The House of Evil which is another uh, Boris Karloff. It was a trilogy of films that Boris Karloff did. And House of Evil from 1968 was another one. He did The Shadow of the Bat, the one I told you about, Blue Demon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he did that one. He produced that one in 68. The Satanical, which is another one with the little midget in 68. He did that one. <laughs> Hell of Spiders with Blue Demon is one of my favorites. He produced that. Uh, and then he did another Mil Mascaras movie called Los Canajas, which he produced that one in 1968. I actually have the two very first Mil Mascaras movies, which is Los Canajas and Mil Mascaras. I have that on a double on a double disc set with English subtitles too. Nice. The Santo films that he did, The Witch's Attack, which is one of my favorites from '68. You know, he he was involved with that. Of course, you know, he did Baron Brocola. That's one of my favorites with Santo in 67. Uh, he also did Blue Demon versus the Diabolical Power, the Poder Satanico in, in 66. He did Santo versus the Grave Robbers, which is like a holy grail. That film has never been released. And that's one of the ones that I've got on 16 Film Print. Oh, wow. Is, uh, is the Grave Robbers, uh, Santo versus La Tumba de los Profanadores from wow. 1966 so he produced that he also did the diabolical diabolical acts with fernando osses that was like the sequel story to the baron Bracola. so if you look at baron Bracola with santo and you look at the diabolical acts those two kind of go together side by side because it's like a plot story that involves you know santo going back in time to his ancestors and stuff he produced that he did the blue, the very first Blue Demon movie in 1965, El Demonio Azul. He did that. He produced that wow. in 1965. Um, I can go on. The <laughs> westerns that he did, The Mystery of the Black Whip, The Black Whip from 1968, I mean 1958, uh, on and on and on. 
Of oh, course, yeah. Alien Terror and Fear Chamber was part of the other trilogy of the Boris Karloff movies that he did. He was also a writer. He produced and he wrote the stories for those two. Nice. So, yeah. And then this one, The Empire of Dracula. Right. And so he's listed here go, as, as um, having the idea for it. So he must have been a very creative guy that would come up with all these concepts and then put them into production, right? Absolutely. Yes, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So um, let's jump into the cast a little bit. Like I said, I don't really have much. What do you want to talk about with the cast here? Well, we could talk about the main character. His name is Eric del Castillo. He he plays Baron Frankl, uh, Dracolstein. And Eric, Eric was born in Mexico, okay, in Guanajuato. And, you know, he was born in 1930. And believe it or not, this gentleman is still alive today. He's pretty old. He's up there wow. in age. But he's still alive. And uh, he, Eric del Castillo has an amazing, amazing filmography. He actually did a, a novella. He did a, a soap opera two years ago called La Doña. Oh, wow. And so he's very active in Mexico doing, he's a oh, much older gentleman, of course. You know, he's got to be in his 80s. But he's very prolific. And they love him in the soap operas. That's all he's been doing in, the, you know, 2017, 15, 16 Soap operas, nothing but soap operas, because I guess that's his love. He got into the soaps early on after he did all what he did. But uh, he's a very active, he's still active to this day. And uh, I mean, he's got over 300 film credits to his title. I got to say, Eric de Castillo is, is, a, is a very, very uh, uh, prolific actor. Um that's you great. know, going, 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 going to the early, you know, in the 2000s and, and into the 1990s and the 80s. I mean, he did a lot of westerns. He loved westerns. Most of these, uh, most of these actors from Mexico, they cross over, but their love of heart is a lot of Mexican westerns because you know that Mexico has a huge thing on, on the western. Their history is based on Pancho Villa, the western. You know what I mean? That yeah. Kind oh of yeah, stuff, absolutely. You know, so Zorro. therefore. The, yeah, that kind of stuff. But um, I uh, I got to say that that Eric Del Castillo is a tremendous actor. Not to mention his filmography. You can't watch all his films, but you want to go back to the early ones that he did back in the 60s and the 70s and, and the 80s. And he, he was involved with, you know, with, with quite a few horror projects. He did some horror films. He did the Rosto. He did another movie called El Rosto Infernal. Which was like another movie involving a like a hideous zombie-like character, uh, besides this one, and basically everything that he did had a magic touch. Mexico always loved him as a prolific actor in doing all the films that he did. I mean, I Eric Del Castillo to me is always going to be, you know, a, 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 an incredible, a, a major actor, a, a known actor. He's not a B star. He's actually an A star in Mexico, you know. Yeah. He also yeah. he also he also did some biblical films. I think he did you know he did the the story of Jesus of Nazareth and he did a couple of other historical biblical films because he they they like kind of doing they cross over and they like doing these films. Um, and then he did a Mexican version, believe it or not, of the Island of the Lost Souls. <laughs> wow. This was back. This was back in the early seventies. And uh, he was the captain of the ship, the Island of the Lost Souls, the Mexican version. How about that? Huh? That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they always want to take 
takes on it, you know, on different films that were made here. Um, he he was involved with the the he was in the Santo film, The Vengeance of the Mummy. I don't know if you remember the one 1971 where the son of Santo was with him in the film. Oh, okay, yes, yeah. Okay, well, The Vengeance of the Mummy from 71, uh, Eric Del Castillo play, played the role of Sergio Morales in the film. He's in that film too with Santo. Like I said, they always you know got him to if his character was very demanding character and he, he stood tall he also did comedy believe it or not with capolina again with the two guys that i told you about yeah the uh abbott and costello the mexican version right right he did a movie called uh brother capolina which was uh <laughs> it was a comedy but you know he he was uh he was a character in that he did some westerns and then remember i don't know if you remember the movie the enigma of death the name is familiar but i don't i can't recall it yeah, well, it, it, the Enigma of Death is Mil Mascaris. I have that film. He's in that, okay? And he is actually, uh, how do you call it? He's like a guy that runs this uh, uh, a carnival that's run by Nazis. <laughs> and Yeah, man. And the guy, the, the Nazi guy is John Carradine. Oh, geez. So, I mean, yeah, you, you got to see that, Enigma of Death. And his role in, in the film with the Nazi carnival is Count Sandukan. <laughs> so that's that's Eric Del Castillo, you know, if you want to see. He was also in the very first Mil Masculus movie in 1969. He was in that. So, I mean, a lot of these stars, you get to see them crossed over. If you watch some of these other movies, uh, you get to see them. Oh, I remember him. He was in this movie. He was in that movie. Oh, yeah, he was... So they kind of like become character actors, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's how you get to see. One of the movies that I liked of him, he was a police captain in the movie of the Panther Women, which okay. was having to do with the luchadors, the Panther Women. Yeah. Have you, have you seen that one? I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with it, yes. Okay, well, he was uh, the, uh, Captain Cordero, uh, Captain Diaz, I mean, in that movie, in the Panther Women, which is really good. It's with Mexican wrestling women. So he he was in that, uh, and then he was, you know, he was in a couple of believe it or not rock and roll movies in Mexico in the early sixties. You wow. know, I mean, they did they did uh, Acapulco a go go. They did uh, Mexico the rock and roll. He did a couple of those, and they were all like musical rock and roll movies, like uh, you know, uh, uh, Buddy Holly type movies, with right? Singing and dancing in clubs, and he was a club owner in Acapulco a go go. He owned the club. So it, <laughs> that was Eric Del, Eric Del Castillo. That's so I awesome. mean, uh, that's him. You know, he he was the movie that you're really going to see him shine too is Santo versus the Strangler. That's the one where it's the uh, 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 the House of Wax, the Vincent Price character yeah. in the two Santo movies, the 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 Santo versus the Strangler and the the Spirit, the Revenge of the Strangler. Well, uh, Eric De Castillo is in both of those movies too. Wow! Which, he was also in the She Wolves of the Ring, which is the other the female wrestling movie. So you see, he was in a lot of the the lucha libre lucha libre films. Right. You know, he was in many uh, a lot of them. You know, because I mean, once you start one and you do one, uh, Roger, they the, the directors, the producers, the writer, they see that your talent, you got good talent, you're a good actor. You do the role well, you know your scripts well. So they right away they have you go on to 
go on and do more, more, and more. They, you want to be in this one? You want to be in that one? And of course, they're going to say yes. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. His horror films from the early '60s, besides this one, he did the uh, La Huella Macabre, which is the macabre, uh, uh, the macabre tracks. He was the Count Bra- Brakovan in that. Hmm. See, they use different kind of names, but that's he was uncredited in that one, and it's pretty good. And he was also in The Incredible Face of Dr. B, which was the first movie of, of Count Brakovan. Okay. Okay. And, and his name was Eric Del Castillo, but he, he was in that film too. So he did two films there. Uh, Mr. Storm, he was in that one that I talked about yep. with the wrestler. He was in that. And he was also in the he was also in the Living Head, the K. Gordon Murray English W, the Living Head, that one. He was in that. He, he was the cop that was killed by the the Maya, the Aztec Mayan zoo. Hmm. So you get to see him in that. And he was also in the Blood of Nostradamus. Wow. So if you see the Blood of Nostradamus with Herman Robles, he plays the role of Gonzalez in that. So you see his uh filmography. He's also in the Exterminating Angel. So oh, okay. if you're gonna watch if you're gonna watch the Exterminating Angel with Jose Barbier. Uh, Eric Del Castillo is also one of the party, one of the guest dinner party members in that film. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll so, I mean, to... I mean, I can go on, but he's got a very, very extensive career and he's still alive. Yeah. That's incredible. Oh, my God. So, let's, we're coming up on the three hour mark here. Um, so, so, this is going to be the longest one of our 13 days this year in 2022. But, oh, my God. Let's... Am I taking. Too much time? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I'm like thoroughly riveted. (laughs) (laughs) I am so riveted. I'm enjoying this. Um, So let's just go into the story uh, of the film here a little bit. You had already mentioned at the beginning it opens with Dracula basically fighting, uh, chasing Van Helsing around the castle. Oh, and that's something I didn't mention on the last film. It seems that Mexican vampires, at least the ones that are Dracula-like, aren't very strong. They're not lifting up humans and tossing them around like ragdolls. They're actually engaging in fist fights and sometimes getting knocked out, you know? <laughs> exactly. They they didn't have the <clears throat> so per se strength like in, you know, the world of the vampires. You saw that Rodolfo was kicking his butt around and knocking him down and everything. And he yeah. couldn't really get to to suck, to, to really suck his blood and kill him. And in this movie, it's the same thing. You got an, an older man. He's got to be a senior. He's got to be in his 60s or 70s. Yeah. And he's chasing him. And he's actually giving him a run for his money fighting. In other words, showing him that he has strength, better strength than the, the Count himself by knocking him down and preventing him from sucking his blood and yeah. going for the neck for the bite. And he's pushing around and he's shoving him off and knocking him on the tables. So, I mean, it's like it's a premise where, you know, okay, you know, he's not strong enough to really take the guy down. And boom, one, two, three, and you're done. They right. have to make it extended to see that there's a, you know, Mexican movies. I like to have long fight scenes. All yeah. the Santo movies, there's always these ten minute fight scenes with everybody fighting. You know what I mean? So they <laughs> they they turn it over into the the horror films, and they do the same thing. Yeah, there's extensive fight scenes between the creatures, the monsters, the vampires, whoever. Yeah, look at the Brainiac. There was a big fight scene in that one too. Right at the end. So, I mean, uh, so, yeah, so the old man, you know, I would call him old Van Helsing. Right. You know, he's chasing him around and everything and 
trying to get the, the, the bite on his neck, but he could never do it because he keeps pushing him off. Push, and this is a man that's overweight. Right. <laughs> the guy, the guy is overweight. I mean, he's got the strength. I say, wow, he's even stronger than the, than Drakelstein himself. Right. So he's able to 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 brush him off and get him down to the count, and then finally get him into that room and. They're knocking tables over and everything. So that opening scene is very instrumental in it to leading the storyline. So what's going to happen with the rest of the movie? Because you know that he actually gets killed in the very beginning of the film. He he gets killed. Right. The well, the, well, the Van Helsing character yanks the curtain off and the sunlight doesn't kill Dracula or Dracolstein. It drives him away. And this gives the Van Helsing guy the opportunity to grab his stake and basically stab him in the chest. But exactly. then he also dies because of the wounds from the fight. And what I thought was really cool, the way they set up the whole the whole rest of the movie, was that um, uh, the Van Helsing character's wife is holding the baby, and she she walks into the room and witnesses him dying. And then she grows up, and on her deathbed in her old age, she tells the kid who's now grown up, who's I think it's Luis, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the son. The son, uh-huh. yeah. She tells Luis that basically uh, now is the time Dracula's going to return and you got to go and kill him. you got to find the, the cross of oak so you can kill Dracula. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing? The yeah. cross of oak. You know, <laughs> and I got to tell you, in, in, and I'm going to mention a couple of other films that involves herbs and involves different items, you know, uh, 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 in other words, uh, objects that can kill the vampire. Right. But in the bloody vampire and in the uh, the invasion of the vampires, the the item there was a, not per se a cross, but it was uh, it was the leaf of Mondragon, the Mondragon leaf, which they mentioned that in this film. Too. Yes. You know, and they, that leaf, you know, it's like supposedly gar- garlic. It's the Mexican version of a garlic form of garlic that weaves off the vampires and eventually destroys them, kills them. So they mentioned okay. they, they, they mentioned it in this film too, you know. So, but the cross of oak, uh, el, el crucifijo de Robles, they call it Robles in the film. They don't say oak de Robles. Uh, it's actually the cross that is gonna. The, the, he needs to get that. That's the only way because it was laid on his chest when he got killed afterwards. You know, and supposedly that cross is the one that eventually brought him back to life, and is the one that's gonna take him back, put him back to death. Right, and at the end of the film, you see where it happens, where he has the cross, and he the the mother is telling him on a deathbed the whole story of Dracolstein, you know, and again a storyline where it involves him coming back and going after the women, trying to get make female vampires, right? Which he did in this movie. There's actually very similar to the Hammer, you know, the the Prince of Darkness or the Dracula film, where you had the the female vampire trying to you know, to feed off of what's his name, you know, that came to the castle. Right. Uh, not not Van Helsing, but, uh, um, oh my God, uh, the other character that came to the castle. So she's, he's busy making female vampires. He, he managed to make one be female vampire. There's always trying to chase the other one. But in the end, you know, it's that crucifix that's going to be able to do the job. And he tells the, the mom tells the son, you need to get that, that, that La Cruz de Robles. And, to go back to the castle, prevent the monster from returning to life and getting the, the crucifix. And actually what happens is the ashes, if you remember, there was a scene where they had the women on there on the, on the pit and then they drained the blood yes. into, into his, his grave where he came back to life. That's the same thing with the, the, the hammer film. 
They did the same concept. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Was that Prince of Darkness? <laughs> I think it was Prince of Darkness. Yeah, the same concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was that was a really creepy scene because, and I remember thinking, oh Jesus, it's good that it's in black and white because the Igor character puts her on this metal rack. And right. cranks it so it pushes her forward. So she's like the top of her, like from her top of her ribs up is um, over Dracula's coffin. And then he just stabs her and lets the blood fall into the coffin and it brings Dracula back. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I was surprised at how gruesome that was. <laughs> so that's how you, that's how he comes back. No, it was. It, it was. It was. It was pretty. I mean, you know, for the time, you know, I mean, right. keep in mind, we're, we're looking at the mid-60s, all right? And, and, you know, Mexican horror, you know, I mean, they didn't want to, they, this movie was so very much influenced by Hammer Hammer horror films. Right. And it was one of the several vampire movies that was done in the 60s with uh, the, the the bloody vampire and the beige and the vampires. They had to do it in black and white because they ex ex except. For you know, of course, they did the color version, and you can see the blood really in the color version. You can really see the blood, right? You know, I mean, the the, the redness of the blood and everything. But I mean, uh, yeah, uh, uh, that's why the two versions were made. And uh, I guess the director, you know, he said, "Well, you know what? I, I got it." Federico Curia says, "I'm going to do a color version, and then I'll do later on." He did the black and white version because I guess it got a little bit too gory for. Mexican cinema, the people, you know, they, so he went back and we shot it again in black and white. Uh, and, and that's the one they were shown later. But right. they edited they, the color version was edited. A lot of those scenes, like the rack scene was edited. The uh, opening scenes were edited. You didn't have the old Van Helsing character fight with Dracula and the staking of him or killing him. None of that. But then they, they later on, they when they redid it again, they put it back into the color version. So yeah, yeah, yeah they made it complete. Sense. They did make it complete. You know, and you were talking about, you know, the, how um, Hammer influenced these films. There's one scene that was a direct homage to Hammer when um, towards the end, he's fighting Drac scene with, and they're, fight they're sword fighting. And the swords cross and they both pause for a second and it causes a shadow from the light of the swords across um, Luis's face, and it looks like a crucifix, and that causes Dracolstein to run screaming. And that was just like there's a scene in one of the Dracula Hammer films where um, uh, Peter Cushing grabs like two large candlesticks and he holds them up as a cross, and it repels the Christopher Lee Dracula, you know? Exactly. At the very end of the film, where Cushing jumps on the table and yeah. he grabs the two candlesticks. And he forms a cross with the light, of course, with the sunlight coming in. He forms a cross and he shines it on Lee's face, and he's already he's already very you know on the on the ground. Actually, there's a there's an uncut version of that too of that Hammer Dracula where they show his grotesque face, how it disintegrates, oh. disintegrate. Yeah, the disintegration of that was actually there was in the original uncut version of the Dracula one, the European print. And they that did make it get a, it got an official release in Europe as a PAL B, and you can see the scenes of the of Christopher Lee at the very end with the with the cushion holding the candlesticks as a cross, where he actually disintegrates and you oh, see wow. his face melting. They show that. So yeah, you're right. They did you know for this particular film, Dracolstein, It's the same thing. You know, I mean, Reese's the the, the fight is going and it's ensuing and. They, 
they they land up doing that scene because I guess you know the director you know wanted to say you know do it as as much many scenes as you can where you can influence the Hammer film right so that way the people can see it. This is remember this was the 1960s. This is not the 1950s. This is like 10 years later yeah. that they're doing this. So they still want to make that influence very, very big. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I have a question for you. Okay, in the story, as we said, the girl's blood brings Dracula back to life. And Luis is trying to find the um, the oak cross. And then he goes into, like, there's a burnt, there's part of the... The um the estate that they're at is this burnt down chapel, um and he f- he figures out to go in there, and he finds like the tomb, or or it's one of those you know those um where you're buried in the wall instead of in the ground. I forget what the right. term is for that. I just call it a tomb, and he starts hammering through it to try to break into it, and of course Drakelstein is. Uh, in another part, you know, he's downstairs or something, and he senses that that's going on. And Luis breaks through the, the wall, and inside, there's like a tiny little box with a skull and bones in it, and the oak crosses on top of it. Right. So whose skeleton was that? Because we know that... You know what I mean? Like, we know that Dra- Drakelstein died... Um, outside of that place so we don't we don't know if anybody moved his body but they couldn't have been his bones right because he already has a body no no there's a good possibility of that no that's a good point that you you mentioned there that that could have been very much his father the bones the bones of his father the old man uh, uh, oh, okay. uh the old the old van helsing it could have been his bones with the cross of oak in there you see what i'm saying so it was preserved in the wall and that's why, if you remember the, the, the beginning when the, the mother was telling him how he, he needed to get to that, to the cross, yes. to find it, to get it, it was in the castle. So therefore, old man Van Helsing, they, they show him dead, but they don't show what they did afterwards. Right. Where right. They buried him, what they did. So they might have taken part of his bones, put it in that box and put the actual oak cross in the box to preserve it and keep it hid away there in the, in the castle. Yeah. So that's my theory on that. I mean, they didn't really give a plot on to why, uh, you know, they're not going to be Dracolstein's bones. They're right. not. So, yeah, because they're, they're in with the oak. So, but I, I think that's what it was. It might have been, you know, old man Van Helsing's, his bones, part of his bones in there with the cross. Right, right. Yeah, because then, okay, so then Dracolstein comes up behind him. He, uh, Luis grabs the cross out of the, the wall and turns around, and it looks like he's pushing it right towards Dracolstein's chest. But then they have this, like, 15-minute fist fight scene. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I'm like, yeah. where's the cross? They, where's the they, cross? They go, they fall down the stairs. Yeah. He gets up. They jump over the, over the back, you know, back. I mean, it's like the banisters, and they go down to the part where the pit is, with the rack. Oh, yeah. They fall over that. They're fighting over that. I mean, it's like on. But, you know, again, there is a, they want to do a, a long fight scene like in all these other movies you know like, like like they did in the world of vampires yeah they have to they have to throw that in to make i guess give it some more time add more footage to the film yeah but padding. i mean you know that it's it, they're going to show you good versus evil fighting so who's going to prevail right is evil going to prevail or is good going to prevail and in the end you know that good is always going to prevail over evil because in the fight it goes on and on and on and what happens he lands up going in there and he 
he ends up killing him anyway. Right. You see? So, yeah, you know, that's a good point. That These fight scenes that he doesn't take them out right away because, you know, that there's always going to be something added on to the to the plot of the film where it's going to make it more intense. Right. So by adding all these fights, I guess they, they make it intense. And by the way, I got to tell you, Igor is great in this film. Yes. That was that was Fernando Osses. Okay. He was a he was a carriage driver, and he's he riding around with the carriage. And at the very end, there's this long carriage driving scene with him on the on the horse and right. he's riding off, and he's chasing uh, Igor on the carriage because Igor took off with the casket supposedly with the the female vampire. Right. That was in there. And uh, Luis is chasing Igor on the carriage. And that was a long scene. Yes. You know, I mean, yeah. it took like two or three minutes. of, And then he gets on the carriage and he's fighting Igor. And again, another fights. So you see what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's oh, like, yeah. Yeah. Because he, he turns out Luis has the cross in his pocket somehow, even though he had it in his hand when he was right, confronted right, by, uh, by Drakelstein. Yeah. Pulls the cross out kills him then realizes the you know the chick and igor are escaping in the carriage and she's in a coffin so he gets on horseback like you said and he's he's following them jumps under the carriage he knocks igor off the carriage opens right. up the he casket does. and puts the cross right on her chest and it reverts her back to human but it also kills her too right she doesn't come back to life like they did like leonore did in the world of the vampires she remains dead because actually she was you know they used a stake. Remember, a stake. When you stake them, you know you're actually they're dead. Right. Where Leonore wasn't staked. You know what I'm saying? Right. But the exactly. thing about it is, uh, uh, yeah. So the 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 oak, the Robles, the 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 cross of oak is what you needed it to release their evil de demonic spirits and leave them resting in their natural form. Right. So that's where she came back to their natural form, but she. She, she she was dead, you know? Yeah. You know, I, that whole scene, I mean, the whole movie I could see done as a, a graphic novel, you know, because it just lends itself visually to that whole process. Yes, it does. Uh-huh. I tell you, there is a lot of dramatic scenes in this film. To me, you know, I mean, uh, 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 there's a lot of eroticism in this film, the same as the other one, especially, you know, uh, females, female vampires biting female victims. Yeah. You know, sort of like a form of lesbianism, females biting females, you know, and, and the highlight is seen in that in where the the count Jacqueline, but he's got a fight inside his own coffin and then carrying a crucifix. They're very dramatic scenes, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, uh, you know, these films add a magic touch to all of them, and this particular one, being that is very hammer related to me. Um, well, you have to see the color version. Roger, yes, I will. To re you have to see that color version so you can see the highlights of the blood and how it looks very, very much like the Dracula Prince of Darkness film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, Juan, why don't you give us your final thoughts on the Empire of Dracula? My final thoughts on this one is to put it right alongside the world of the vampires. They go one on one. To me, that's why I picked these two. I didn't pick the bloody vampire and the invasion because they're, they're like one movie into a sequel. So yeah. it would be the same movie continuing, a continuing storyline. I wanted to have two complete storylines, and we have it here. With the world of the vampires, we have you know a count from 300 years ago that comes back to go after the ancestors of you know to, to, to destroy them. And in the Empire of Dracula, we have a count that wants to, wants to have a domain of female vampires like you know, 
like AKA the women of, of the, of Dracula, which is the other title to this film. And, uh, you know, having that theme plot that, the uh, Federico Curia wanted to maintain with this film to have it very similar to a hammer film where the people in Mexico say, well, okay, I saw that, that, that Dracula Prince of Darkness and it's very much related. And it's just, it's not the same, same storyline, but it's very similar in a lot of things, unless you think about, well, this is going to happen. This is not going to happen. So I would definitely put this right on top uh, of, of in my in my collector status. I would give this one actually a five out of five because the color one really says it all. When you watch it in color, it's like whoa! It's like Technicolor, and you can see the the true essence of of a Hammer color film vampire film. So and 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 actually the uh, the, the the fight scenes, Dracolstein the castle, the female vampire. If you remember, the female vampire was going around. She's trying to convert the other ones in the house, in the mansion, into vampire. She was chasing the other female to try to bite and get her to convert her into a vampire. Right. So, I mean, there was a lot of a lot of intensity there. And uh, it, it held the storyline. I like the initial plot where, you know, you see he, he how he dies. And then years later, how he comes back via the blood of another woman over the rack and and then you got Igor and you got I mean it's so all the essentials are there to make it a very very good film I really enjoy this film uh Roger and it's one of my top ones in my uh in my collection of vampire Mexican vampire films yeah yeah I mean I like I said I have to see the color or like you said I have to see the color version um I also really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, I like I said, my first viewing, uh, you know. And again, I'm so glad you've been able to join us here because, you know, like I said before, you've opened up this whole new world of films to me, and this one was really good. I think um, I, I agree with your your ratings. This was a five star, whereas um, World of the Vampires was maybe a four star, but. The color, I think, is really what's probably going to push it over for me, too, as well, is just make it even more engaging. I mean, the film was atmospheric. It was chilling. I love all the touches of, of the influences by Hammer and Universal. Um, you know, I just I just really, really enjoyed this movie. And I like the fact that the YouTube quality was much better than um, than it was in World of the Vampires. I would like to see a better uh, quality you know, print of that movie as well. But yeah, okay. I, I recommend this. I think people, if you want to start watching Mexican horror movies, these two are, are really good ones to start with. The uh, the uh, also another thing I want to add on to the uh, the El Imperio de Dracula, the Empire of Dracula was this film was actually shot because uh, Federico Curiobi actually got a uh, 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 production service and it, it got Columbia to back it up. Oh, so wow. this is a, this is Columbia Pictures. This is a Columbia backed film that was shot. In Mexico, via Columbia Pictures, believe it or not. So, in the opening credits, you get to see the the statue of Columbia oh, yeah. Pictures. It, okay, it, it it is a Columbia Pictures uh, release. Is there an English dub of it anywhere? No, there isn't an English dub. Believe it or not, it's only the subtitled version. There's there's not an English dub. I would love to see a, a good. If there's one to be made, this one should be made with good dubbing remastered with the color version and the black and white version i would love to see this officially released uh you know maybe vci some of these other companies and you know i'm mentioning names but i mean you know the ones that are doing all these dub versions now on a lot of the mexican horror films right right but yeah no you know i i, I have both films 
and they're on one disc, but they're they're great. The, the colors beautiful, and then the the prints are very nice, better than the YouTube quality ones. Oh yeah, the YouTube ones. I would have to say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me again, Juan. Uh, this has been awesome. It was a great show. Uh, can you tell the listeners once again where to find you online? Sure, Roger. Thanks. Uh, the, you know, you can actually go onto my website. It is www.55thdimensionfilms.net. Okay, so that's where you'll find me, uh, my website. And I also have some other interesting films on there, too. On my website, besides the Mexican uh, horror films and Lucha Libre films, I have an extensive, believe it or not, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Euro spy films. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of everything, Roger. I mean, but <laughs> I, I love Euro spy films from the '60s and the late '60s and the '70s, and I have an extensive collection of Euro spy films on my website that people can purchase. Uh, you know, they're Italian made. With some of them with English subtitles, but the majority are Italian and French made and German made. Euro spy films. They're like the Bond type films right. that came out in the '60s. I have that. And I also have a small section on Japanese horror because I uh, I follow the uh, uh, the filmography of Nobuo Nakagawa and uh, some of the directors of the 1950s in Japanese horror and the lore of the uh, the ghost films and vampire films that came out in uh, in Japan in the 50s. So there's some films of those on the website, and uh, I also have some uh, posters and lobby cards. Of you know of Mexican horror films and and other films and Euro spy films you name it so browse around the site and uh, you know if whatever appeals you know send me an email if uh, if you have questions on any of the films or uh, any of the uh, the items there and uh, and we'll go from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And now I'll, I'll put your website in the uh, show notes so people can click on it and Thank find you. you. So, Juan, we're going to have to have you come back again to talk about Western horror films and Federico Curiel. Um, There's so many Mexican films to discuss. And now that you reminded me that you're a big Eurospy fan, um, you're going to have to come on as a guest on my new show, The Cult Movie Lounge, so that you, me, and Robert Manel can talk about Eurospy films. (laughs) Oh, my God, yes. I I have, you know, I mean, I have the Bible to the Eurospy films, but, I mean, there's so many of them. Some American-made ones, a lot of the German ones, the Italian ones. I mean, there must have been a couple of hundred Euro spy films. I don't have them all, but I have a large amount of the films in my collection, and they're on the website. Yeah. And I also give a very good detailed description of every film. So if you click on the poster, it'll take you to the next page where I, I give a detailed uh, synopsis of what the film is about, who's in it, when it was made and so forth, the directors, and a little bit of that. So you get a little plot summary with each one if you want to know what the film is about. There was actually some pretty good Euro spy sci-fi films that were made too, and you know maybe one or two that are in the semi-horror mode, but no, uh, most of them all action, James Bond-type films, you know, spy versus spy-type stuff, and I love that, you know. So I, I put those up there uh, along with my Mexican uh monster stuff and my Lucha Libre stuff. So yeah, to, to for everybody to browse. It's just fun browsing to the side and looking at everything. It's, it's just fun doing that, you know? Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Juan, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Roger. Well, thank you for having me on the show. It was a pleasure and honor, and I'm looking forward to the next one. Um, just 
keep me in tabs and let me know. Yeah, I would love to do a uh, West, uh, uh, Mexican Western horrors. Yeah. And along with uh, Chano Orieta and uh, Federico Curiel and some of the other great producers and directors that did these films in the 50s and 60s. And also the, uh, the Dracula episode that you want to telecast, I'd be more than happy to join you on that. Oh, I mean, great. for the uh, for the end of October, I don't know if it's going to fall during my time that I'm going to a chiller, chiller theater. So but I will let you know the dates. OK, OK. Uh, well, it's actually September. It's going to be in September. Uh, well, we'll talk oh, about okay. that afterwards, Juan. So we'll sign off here. Thank you, folks, for listening. And we'll talk to you soon. OK, bye. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallotober event in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans, as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manell and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And there's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and Spaghetti Western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and Tee Public link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. Now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com <laughs>